The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Before we look at the message, I, here's, here's what I'd like to do. I, I've got a great fear this morning. My fear is you'll walk out of this place and all you've heard is don't, 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 don't. But that's not what I want you to hear. But what I want you to hear is do. I want you to hear that when we talk about sex and sexuality, God has a great plan for us. It's a plan for us to be pure within marriage. It's a plan for us to enjoy the spouse that God's given us. Uh, Bev and I celebrate 39 years of marriage in two weeks, and uh, we're grateful for the... Thank you. You should be clapping for her, not for me. She's had to put up with me for all those years. By the way, I've got purple and gold on. You know, Pete gave me this uh, shirt a number of years ago. I get to wear it to church on a Sunday when you guys come, so I love it. It does say LSU on here. That's my, I'm an alumnus of LSU, but I cheer for the crew every time I show up at your game, so uh, we're with you. Um, but 39 years of marriage, and God has created sex as a great gift between a husband and wife. We enjoy it, and we're grateful for it. And that's my prayer. You can cop for that, too. Here you go ahead. Uh, so we're grateful for that. Or I heard giggles from ladies only. And, uh, but it's a great gift God has given us. And I pray that you'll remember that this is a message about don't, don't. It's a message about do. But with that said, if you're not a Christ follower, if you don't know Christ personally, you can't obey this message. It's not going to happen. This is a message that says a changed heart produces a transformed life. So it's only when your heart is changed that your life will be transformed. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, we're not ashamed to talk about it. We're glad to talk about it in church. I agree with what Mark Driscoll said. In God's culture, the kingdom culture, the marriage covenant is sacred. The marriage bed is sensual. We speak frankly but not crassly about sexuality because if our people do not get their information from the living waters of Scripture, their thirst will compel them to drink from the toilet of pornography and perversion. Samson, a he-man with a she-weakness. Open your Bibles or your phones, your apps to Judges 13. All your phones have a Bible app on it, Judges 13. We're paralleling the nation of Israel then with what's happening in our culture today. We're paralleling Samson's life to the lives of men and women today. Father, as we look at this text, we do desire to speak frankly but not crassly. We desire to obey the word and heed the word. We desire for Christ to be our teacher. We desire for the Spirit of God to change us. We desire, Father, to be men and women who appreciate the wives you've given us, husbands you've given us, with great joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Israel struggled with God's instructions on purity then, and we as a nation and individually struggle with it now. If it's homosexuality, transgender, whatever transgender stuff is, Uh, If it's adultery, if it's premarital, extramarital sex, we're in the middle of a heated battle. You see, Christ has called us to live with radical purity in an age of impurity. In fact, it became obvious this week, uh, the the age that we live in, uh, if you're familiar with what happened this week, Ashley Madison is a a website that you can go to. It's designated, it's a website that targets married couples so you can have a basically adulterous relationship with someone without them finding out. In fact, their motto, you can see on the bottom, life is short, have an affair. So it targets married couples so you can discreetly have a sexual relationship, an encounter, an affair with other people. But the problem this week, if you kept up with the news, is it was compromised. Someone hacked into it, a group of people hacked into the Ashley Medicine web, Madison website, and they published the database of who was found there. Several million names. And so all of a sudden, there were many late-night conversations in many homes around America because names were found on the Ashley Madison website. 
Several thousand of those were government workers, government employees. EDU is the end of a website, which were educational. Thousands of people with EDU as, a, as, as their link. And so what we find is the compromise there revealed to us what we knew what was going on in our culture and our society, and it all went south for many families this week. How many of you know what Tinder is? Let me see your hands. You know what Tinder is? If you're over 30, you don't know what Tinder is. Okay. Tinder is an app. You can put it on your phone. I recommend you don't. In fact, I would ask you not to do it. Uh, Tinder is an app. It's a hookup app. In the current Vanity Fair, which uh, I read the article this past week, it's all about Tinder and Tindering is what it's called. It's a long article in Vanity Fair. It has to do with uh, young folks in Manhattan, college students and above, young professionals all the way into their early 30s. They're millennials. Millennials are folks that were born who are, who are basically uh, anywhere from 14, 15, up to 32 years old. You're a millennium. Uh, some of you are saying, I don't know what you're talking about. It's because you were born a millennium ago. That's why. Okay. All you young people are millennials out there, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, that's what you are. Uh, not your coaches, but you guys. You're all millennials out there. This is an article about millennials and current, event, current Vanity Fair. Basically, what Tinder is and tendering, you go to a bar. Now you don't have to pick up people in the bar. You go to your Tinder app. They send you pictures. You look on their profiles. You look at their pictures. And based upon their pictures, you desire to hook up that night. In this article, there are four young men, five young men sitting in a bar. Four of them had hookups before the evening was over. It's subtitled, whereas Ashley Madison is life is short, have an affair. Uh, the Tinder uh, motto is mating without dating. And so you, you don't have to date, you just mate. It's people looking for someone to hook up with, men and women on Tinder. Happens over and over. Young lady, how's this working out? Here's a young lady, 24 years old. She had a three-month relationship with a guy through Tinder. Then he ghosted her. How many of you know what it means to ghost somebody? Oh, come on. I mean, you guys, you guys what's, it, what's it mean to ghost somebody? You disappear on them, okay? So you don't text them anymore, you don't Tinder them anymore, you don't email them anymore, you don't Facebook them anymore, you ghost them. You guys have to get with it. I'm old and I know this stuff. <laughs> okay? Got to keep up with the culture, guys. Uh, in this, this 26-year-old girl who had a three-month relationship with a guy said, it's rare for women in our generation to meet a man who treats her like a priority instead of an option. See, ladies, you become an option, not a priority. When you allow yourself to do that. Young guys, same thing with us. Well, that leads us into Samson. Leads into Samson. It just so happens that's where we're in our study of judges right now. Samson was a guy who was what tendering's about. Samson is a guy what Ashley Madison's about. Samson is the guy who ref- represents the sociological mores of our culture today. I, I mean... When you look at Samson's life, he had an impressive resume. Scriptures say he killed a lion with his bare hands. That's pretty impressive. And uh, guys, look at how ripped he is in that picture. They had photographs back then. That's an order's rendering. Uh, this is Samson. He killed over a 1,000 folks with the jawbone of a donkey. And uh, this is Samson. He was strong enough to knock two columns over to send a temple to its ruins, killing a couple of thousand people. That's strong. I, I, coach, I don't know who your strongest guy is out there, but... Uh, they don't compare to this dude. I'm going to tell you that. Uh, the strongest guy out there doesn't compare. Strongest guy in uh, the strongest men composition last year was this guy. Uh, he set the deadlift record. That's 1,150 pounds, set the deadlift record. He's not as strong as Samson was. That's a low there, guys. Anybody, anybody compete with that? Any of your guys? You know, that, that's not going to happen. And so Samson is this, is this he-man, but the reality of it, he's got a she-weakness. And Samson's life can be looked at in four stages. All of them revolving around women, every one of them. The four stages of Samson's life, Samson's life. Samson and his mama, 
Samson is bride. Samson is harlot. Samson and Delilah. Everything in Samson's life revolved around women, and it wasn't good. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Samson, first of all, and his mama. Samson and his mama. Samson's mom was barren. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13 of Judges. The sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And so what that verse tells us is we've seen the cycle in Judges. nation of Israel walks with God. They fall into disobedience. God disciplines them. They repent. They walk with God. They fall into disobedience. God disciplines them. They repent. And that cycle repeats itself over and over. Now they're in the midst of a cycle of sin. So when the curtain rises on Act 1 of Samson's life, what we find is that the nation's in turmoil. For 40 years, the Philistines have them. 40 years they're slaves to the Philistines, 40 years they're servants to the Philistines, 40 years this other nation rules over them. They're a slave nation to them. And it's quite interesting, when you look at this section of God's word, it says, and there was a certain man of Zoar, and his wife was barren, that's verse 2, verse 3, an angel appeared to the woman and said, behold, you're barren, you have no children, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, don't let him drink wine, uh, strong drink, let him eat anything unclean, don't let a razor touch his head. I could not have been like Samson because the razor touches my head regularly. The purpose, the end of verse 5, he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, what's missing there? I want you to think with me for a while. What's missing there? What's missing is they're in bondage for 40 years. We studied for the previous few weeks, and we've looked at Judges, and it says the nation cried out, and God delivered them. What's missing there is the nation doesn't cry out. 40 years of servitude, 40 years of bondage, 40 years of slavery, and they're not crying out unto God. I mean, you would think after 40 years of being in the pit, they would be screaming out to God, but they are so far from God that they don't even cry out to him. I've had the privilege to be at TBC for 34 years. And uh, in the midst of that, I've seen people like the nation of Israel. They hit bottom, and they keep digging. I mean, they just hit bottom, and they keep digging. I mean, their their lives are falling apart, and you're thinking, surely they cry out and turn to God, but they don't. What what they do is they just keep digging, get deeper and deeper and deeper. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've had that struggle. Maybe you've been through those things. And I I keep thinking, what is it going to take for them to surrender? When will they finally throw up their hands and say, I'm tired of this. I'm trying to control. I'm tired of manipulating. I'm tired of playing church. I, I really want to be your man, your woman, God. And they just keep digging lower. That's what's happening in the nation of Israel. They don't cry out to God. It's not there in the scriptures. Hebrew word for cry out is za'ik. It's not there. We find it in other places. And so the nation of Israel, instead of throwing up their hands and saying, I surrender, don't do it. But God in his grace, God in his mercy, sends a deliverer. They don't ask, God sends. By the way, there's a parallel to who Jesus is to us. He is the one who was sent by God's grace, by God's mercy, as a deliverer. So they didn't ask, God graciously extends to them the deliverer. Grace is extended to Israel, deliverer comes, his name is Samson. If you look at the end of chapter 13, he's born, verse 24, a woman gave birth to a son, named him Samson, and the child grew up to be blessed of the Lord. So Samson, this he-man, comes on the scene. Up until now, we don't know a whole lot, up until now, we haven't heard from Samson. It's all about his mom, all about her being barren, all about Israel needing a deliverer. And so God sends a deliverer. The first words we hear about Samson are found in chapter 14, verse 2. It says, Samson came back. Well, let's back back up to verse 1, 14.1. Samson went to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah. Now, we don't know where Timnah is. It's not in Texas, that's for sure, right? 
So, so he went to Timnah. Timnah was a Philistine place. It's a place where the pagans lived. And he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back to his mother and father. And he said, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. I want you, if you're writing your Bibles, underline the words, I saw. I saw. It's going to be a continual thing in Samson's life. Instead of looking with the eyes of his heart, or instead of looking with his heart, Samson looked with his eyes. So Samson, Samson falls for this woman, not because she's a godly woman, not because she's a follower of God, not because she's one of his people, but because she looks good. I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. The first words out of Samson's mouth, recording the scriptures, I saw a woman, daddy, get her for me. First words out of Samson's mouth. Samson is a guy who's not controlled by God. He's controlled by his glands. He's not controlled by his heart. He's controlled by his hormones. And so his mother and father say to him, is there no one among our relatives, not a single woman, among all of our people that you would take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? You know, these pagan people. And God's already warned him, you marry the pagan people, you're going to worship their pagan gods. He's warned him over and over. Now, Samson is supposed to be delivered to Israel he doesn't look like much of a deliverer, does he? I mean, it's just the opposite. He's supposed to be the deliverer, and he's disobeying everything God has said. In fact, he sees this woman, and he says, that's the gal I want right there. I'm sure it's never happened to a single man in this room. And all the ladies laugh. Samson speaks a second time. Look at what he says. Samson said to his father, the end of verse 3, Get her for me, for she's a godly lady. Get her for me because she can serve alongside me. What's it say in your Bible, the end of verse 3? Get her for me for she looks good to me. Samson says, she's a knockout. She's a beauty. I want her. I want her. I got to have her. I don't care if she's a pagan. I don't care if I don't know her. I mean, this is mating without dating right here. It's tender right here. Everything he was living, we're living. Everything he was doing, we're doing. And that's where Samson is. Samson says, I see her, I want her. I mean, his theme song. His theme, there was a song back in the 60s when, when I was in junior high, high school. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You remember that song? You must be like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. You must be, you're too good to be true. And then it goes, I love you, baby. No relationship. You look great. I want to touch you. I love you. The words of a man seeking to capture a woman he doesn't even know. That's Samson. So Samson's eyes spur him to lust. He desires what's not his. He's more like a dog in heat than a man qualified to lead the nation. And he falls prey to this. Ran across this statistic last year. In the state of Illinois, there are about 17,000 deer that die every year after they're hit by motorists on the highway. 17,000 a year. Probably twice that in Texas, I guess. But 17,000 a year. The, the uh, state wildlife director in the state of Illinois said the peak season for road kills is late fall, especially for bucks. Now, how many of you guys are deer hunters, men or women out there deer hunters? Why do bucks get killed by cars in late fall? Yeah, it's the rut season. And so their head could care less about what's coming down the highway. They're thinking about one thing and one thing only. That's that beautiful doe crossing the street. And so they're going to take off across the street regardless of what happens. 
guy who wrote this said, deer aren't the only ones destroyed by preoccupation with sex. People die all around us, left and right. Just as that buck chases that doe across the street, I've seen people cash in families, I've seen people cash in businesses, I've seen people cash in their reputation, the reputation of Christ for that which they shouldn't have. It's tragic. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying don't, don't, don't. I'm saying God has made this a good, pleasurable thing for us to do within the confines of what he's given us. Samson, he's in heat. Go get her for me. Look at verse 7. So he went down and he talked to the woman and she looked good to Samson. Samson said, I got to have her. Got to have her. I don't care what it costs. I got to have her. I don't care if God says no. I don't care if mom and daddy say no. Doesn't matter to me. I got to have her. She's everything I ever dreamed of. Everything I ever wanted. It happens to men and women all the time. One of them says, I entered into sexual sin willingly. I thought I could control it. I thought I could take a break from my commitment to God and to my wife. I thought I could dive into sin if it's like diving in a swimming pool, then climb out, dry off, and pick up right where I left off. And then this author says, sin takes you further than you intend to go, keeps you longer than you intend to stay, and costs you more than you intend to pay. See, when you find yourself plunged neck deep into this stuff, these ladies at strip clubs, any of you involved in sex with someone you're not married to, this is the outcome. God has called you to live. If you're a Christ follower, I'm not talking to you if you don't know Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, God has called you to live a life of radical purity in a world of impurity. To stand out. To stand out. And not many people do. Would you go to that picture, Annette, uh, towards the end? You know, one, of, one of my heroes just recently, um, you guys will know who this is. Um, who, who is that guy? Guys, you know, you know who it is. Who's that guy? Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's quarterback for Seattle Seahawks. He's engaged to Sierra, the lady with him. Uh, recently, about three weeks ago, Wilson came out and said that he and she are keeping themselves sexually pure till marriage. Now, Bruce Jenner, whatever Bruce Jenner is, I don't even know what to call it anymore, Bruce Jennerette or something like that. <laughs> but, but, but whatever Bruce Jenner is, we call him or she, whatever he is, whatever he or she we call that courageous. So Russell Wilson comes out. Pretty interesting. He comes out and makes a statement. They're going to save themselves till marriage. If you watch the first comments that came out, the first one was, I knew he was a fag the whole time. The next one, he's got to be gay, right? The, the, the next one, if he's not tapping into that, there's something wrong with that bro. So we, we're going to hold up Bruce Jennerette. And we're going to diss on a guy who stands up for Christ and what's right. Something wrong with that. Something wrong with our culture when that's what happens. The reality of it is this is the hero. This is the guy I say may his tribe increase. I, I pray that he can keep his vow. I, I'm sure it's going to be hard if not impossible to do it. But by God's grace he can. So we go back to Samson now and we look at Samson and we, we see here's a guy. The next step he takes is a found in... Uh, well, he gets married to this girl, and on the way to get married, he sees a lion, he kills a lion, and then he goes back and he sees a honeycomb in the lion, so he knows he can make some money on that, so he goes to his wife and he says, I want you to tell the other Philistines that if they can solve a riddle, I'm going to give them a bunch of stuff, and if they can't solve it, then they give me a bunch of stuff. And so here's the riddle, it's found in chapter 14, verse 14. 
Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. That's the riddle. Well, they couldn't solve it. So the Philistines come to his wife and say, if you do not entice your husband, this is verse 15 of chapter 14, if you don't entice your husband to tell us a riddle, we're going to burn you and your father's house with fire. But we're going to kill everybody. And so what does she do? Verse 17, she wept for seven days. Now, if you've got a wife that's weeping for seven days, you're going to tell her what she wants, right, guys? So she cries for seven days. She pressed him so hard, she told him the riddle, then she told her people the riddle. So the men of the city come on the seventh day and they said, we've got the solution. Here's the riddle. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And so they solve the riddle. Now, I bring this up because sometimes things work well then that don't work well now. It's Samson's next line. Samson said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have that answer. Now, that may, may have made sense then to, to refer to your wife as a heifer. But I'm here to, how many of you guys are married out there? Raise your hand. Never call your wife a heifer, okay? I I mean, that was okay then. That's not okay now. I mean, that is not okay now. But we've got some dear friends with us, Jack and Cynthia Hill. Cynthia spoke at our women's conference, Jack, and they've been on Navigator staff for a while, but Jack was a veterinarian before there. Wouldn't you, as a veterinarian, would you say no man in here should call his wife a heifer? Better not. Better not. Okay, that's good. How many years y'all been married? 55 years of marriage. He has never called Cynthia a heifer, even though he's a veterinarian. I guarantee you that. So, so Samson says, you messed up. So Samson, I mean, he's so filled with revenge that he starts killing people left and right. I mean, he is Rambo before Rambo. I, I mean, he looks like Rambo, and he does Rambo. He kills 1,000 Philistines. He kills 30 other people. I mean, he just does some bizarre things. So what do you learn from Samson? Let me give you four principles from our weak, strong man. First of all, lust destroys. When you follow the desires of your heart, indulgence does not satisfy desire. It only flames it. You begin to indulge sexually. Young men, statistics tell me that uh, about 70% of you involved in pornography on a regular basis right now. 70%. It's not going to fulfill your lust. It's not going to happen. It's only going to flame that desire. TBCers? You know what? Statistics tell me that... uh, Right now, out of every five men here, two of you are sleeping with somebody you're not married to. It may be a hookup on weekends. It may be when you go out of town on business. But the tragedy is you name the name of Jesus, but you do things you shouldn't do. Now, you remember the start of my sermon. You can't do this without a changed heart. It's only a transformed heart that chooses, produces changed behavior. I'm not asking to morally change. I'm asking you to trust Jesus. That's where hope comes. We're talking about hope here. The nation had no hope. They needed hope. Lust destroys. Secondly, look with your heart, not with your eyes. 98% of pornography is geared to men because we are stimulated by the eye gate. There's a verse in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on a young woman with lust. Uh, Third thing, never say not me. Never say not me. I've had 30, 40-year-old people in my office who's 60 and 70-year-old parents involved in immorality. Sick. Tragic. It's only through Jesus that this can happen. Finally, revenge happens. How many of you know fatal attractions? You know what that means? It happens. It happens. Uh, I googled up this week. I had to tell Danny, our executive pastor, at first I googled up statistics on strip clubs. So 
I, I mean, Danny can see the traffic on our email or through our server, and I'm thinking, Danny, you need to know I'm not going to a bunch of bad websites here. Okay, statistics on strip clubs, statistics on pornography, and then I Googled up revenge after adultery, and, uh, and then I went to images. So I'm thinking, man, if Danny looks at our server, I'm, an, I'm fired, man, I'm gone. So I made, so you, you go to revenge happens after adultery and pictures like this pop up, okay? Uh, pictures like this pop up. Hi, Stephen, do I have your attention now? I know all about her, you dirty, sneaky, immoral, unfaithful slime ball. Everything's caught on tape. Your soon ex-to-be wife, Emily, P.S., I paid for this billboard from our joint bank account. Uh, this is revenge after adultery. Look at that. I mean, revenge after adultery. That boat says cheating husband on it. Everything's in the front yard. Revenge after adultery. Hope she was worth it. Uh, revenge after adultery. <laughs> I'd have paid her a thousand bucks for the vet just to, you know, say. Um, here's the, here's the, uh, the footnote that goes with that. The note that goes, hi, honey, had a little accident, pulling the garage today. Sorry, I love you. By the way, your girlfriend called. Revenge after adultery. Finally ends with Delilah. You know the story of Delilah. If Tom Jones was here, the singer from the 60s, he could sing, why, 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 Delilah. I'm not going to do it because you'll get up and leave. But Samson eventually comes out. He is nagged, nagged, nagged by, his wife, by Delilah. And eventually he says, if you can cut my hair, my strength is gone. The Philistines jump out. They're waiting for him. They shave his head. They gouge his eyes out. He becomes a, sh- a freak show at a circus. And the scriptures never tell us that Samson turned back to God. He goes in the temple of Dagon, the Philistine god, pushes the columns down like you saw in the picture. A couple of thousand people die, and Samson's life ends. Great tragedy. But I want to leave you with hope this morning. I, I want to leave you with hope. And, and it, it, don't swander your gifts. Don't squander the gifts. guy. When I look at Samson, I see a guy who squandered his gifts. He had so much potential. The Spirit of God filled him, but he traded it all in for immorality. Don't squander what God's given you. The gift of your family, the gift of your husband, the gift of your wife, the gift of your kids. Nothing is worth it. Secondly, don't succumb to the flesh. When you walk with Jesus, honor Jesus. If you don't do that, you'll succumb to the flesh. There's a... uh, a skink. Annette, can you go to the picture of that lizard? This was, a, uh, this was a lizard. It's a skink, a small lizard that was found and eventually brought to the Jacksonville, Florida Zoo. And what's unusual about this particular skink is it had two heads. It had two sets of legs pulling in the opposite direction. There it is right there. Okay? So it's like co-joined twins, Siamese twins today. I keep this picture handy. You know why? It teaches me a lesson. The spiritual life is a lot like that. We've got the flesh pulling one way, and we've got our faith pulling the other way. We've got our Savior pulling one way, and we've got Satan pulling the other way. We've got the world pulling one way, and we've got our worship of God pulling one way. Paul puts it this way in Romans 7. The things that I know I should do, I don't do. The things that I do, I wish I wouldn't. And he talks about this great battle in the spiritual life. And I'm here to tell all of you that apart from Christ, there is no hope. And some of you are saying, Pastor Gary, if you knew my past, if you knew what I was involved in right now, I, I'm, I'm the guy that's involved in all that stuff. I come from a family where everybody was immoral. 
I, I, I'm, the, I'm the lady who's out sneaking around on my husband right now. I'm the guy that stays up late at night until my family goes to bed so I can sneak a peek on my computer. That's me. And you may feel hopeless right now, but I want you to know there's hope. God can use even a leaky vessel to accomplish his purpose when repentance takes place. No matter how far you are from God, no matter where you are, there's hope. And that's what this message is about. It's about hope that's found in Christ. I, I want you to meet a fellow TBCer. Her name is Lisa Isinger. Lisa is here to talk, you about, talk to you about hope. Lisa, would you welcome Lisa to the stage with me? I've known about Lisa for several months, but honestly, I didn't meet her face-to-face. I've seen her here, but face-to-face and talked to her till this week in my office. And Lisa's here to give you uh, hope, to share with you her story so that you might have hope wherever you're coming from. So Lisa, share a little bit about your background and how you can offer hope in Jesus to our friends here. Um, As a young child, I had suffered from physical and sexual abuse, and so I was depressed all my life. Um, I became an alcoholic at the age of 13 and a drug addict at the age of, well, 2006. I started using drugs. And um, that drug addiction led me into prison. I did eight months in a very hot prison in Gatesville, Texas. And during that time, um, prior to going there, I didn't even know if I believed in God anymore because I blamed him for every wrong thing that happened in my life. But it was during that time in prison where I really opened my eyes and my heart and just asked God to come in and cleanse me of all that mess. Um, I had read a book written by Linda Strom called um, Set Free, and it's a story of Carla Faye Tucker. And I remember thinking, well, if he can do that to Carla Faye Tucker, then I know he can do something with me. And um, at the same time, I had a friend that wrote me a letter and said, you know, Lisa, you got to get hope back into your life. Because I was, I was extremely hopeless. I mean, I felt like I couldn't get any lower than that. And prior to that, I had been suicidal. I mean, I just, I just didn't see a way out of it. And so she writes me this letter and tells me that, you know, I need hope in my life. And at the same time, my husband sends me a Bible, and the ribbon was marked to Jeremiah 29.11, And I remember reading that, and my heart just, I mean, I just, I didn't have an aha day. I had an aha week. I mean, an aha moment, I had an aha week. And I spent the rest of that time just growing and learning and um, receiving the Lord in my life. And um, now I go back into prison five days a week, sharing the love of Christ, sharing my story, helping others with recovery. Um, When you were a little girl, you uh, shared with me that... uh that basically you grew up in Gatesville, lived with your grandmother yeah. for part of your life anyway, and some of the things you guys would do as little girls. We would, um, I grew up right down the road from, from the prison that I was later in, um, and my cousins and I would ride our bikes literally all over Gatesville, and we would see the prison lights, and it was kind of just like this enigma. Like, I mean, it was, we didn't understand it. We just knew. Well, actually, we used to play that the inmates were getting out and chasing us, so we would have hide-and-seek games in the woods, and never, never in a million years would I ever think that I would someday be behind those prison walls. And, um, and I was. So you're in this hopeless situation, but there Christ comes to you. Yes. You're in prison, and it's there that you meet the Savior. It's there that your life is transformed. It's there that your life is changed. And 
one of the things Lisa shared with me is that she said, I've been in prison way more now than when I was in prison, actually. And uh, going in week after, day after day, week after week, sharing a story, a few years of sobriety now, a few years of walking with Christ and honoring Christ with my life. So you look around at all the folks here, a lot of folks, uh, all three hours. And uh, what would you tell them, those that are in a hopeless situation, what would you share with them? Um, I would just say to, to hold on to faith and, and hold on to the hope because it won't be like this forever. Whatever you're going through, it will come to an end someday. And the thing that has helped me the most is, um, is just knowing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do and, and believing that. Um, if I didn't have my faith and my hope in, in the Lord, I don't know where I would be. Um, I've still got a lot of things to be sad for. I still battle the depression, but I'm no longer suicidal. Um, I open scripture now instead of opening a bottle or, or getting high, and um, it saved me. And it's you got to have patience, too, and I don't have a lot of patience, um, so I have to pray for patience a lot. But just waiting on the Lord and just knowing that he will see you through this, and, and it, it won't be like this forever. Would you thank this young lady for her bravery and coming share with us? Some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, um, hey, I'm not that bad. I didn't do those things. I've never been to prison. But here's the reality. If you're separated from Christ, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. You're headed to Christ's eternity, but you can trust Jesus right now. And some of you need to do that. Some of you are in bondage right now. You know Christ, but you're, you're not living in freedom. You're walking in bondage, and he makes an offer to you. Makes an offer to be free. You know, we look at Samson's life. I see a lot of hopelessness there, but I look at lives like Lisa's and know there's a whole lot of hope. Amen? And so here's my prayer for each of you. If you don't know Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to trust him as your Savior. If you know Christ and you know you're a ways away from him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come back home, not to be a prodigal anymore. If you know Christ, you're walking with him. Intercede for those who might fall in those first two categories. Father, thank you for the Savior. Thank you for the one who gave his life for us. Thank you for eternal life that's found in him. Thank you for strong testimonies like Lisa's. I I pray right now for anyone who is not sure if Christ is their Savior. I pray right now that they would trust him for salvation. If there's any doubt in your mind, if you know Christ, if you died right now, if you just made eternity his presence, why don't you just pray with me right where you sit, Lord Jesus, I desire to know with certainty that you're my Savior. And so I confess to you my sin. I ask you for forgiveness of that sin. I ask you to be my Savior. And some of you are on a long walk away from God. You know Christ, but you're not walking. Would you say, God, I'm the prodigal Pastor Gary's talking about today. I desire to come home and be right. I confess to you. I confess that desire. And now you can leave this place not hopeless, but with hope because of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.